0: please turn with me in your Bibles into our text this morning which comes from uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians as we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 2 and verses 15 and 16 this morning Galatians chapter 2 and verses 15 and 16 Galatians chapter 2 verses 15 and 16 hear with me then No one will be justified thus far as a reading of God's Word. Now, many people who would consider themselves Christians are, I think, of the opinion that the most important question that we might ask ourselves is this. uh, Do I have Christ? Do I have Christ? Or, Or am I in Christ? Or is Christ mine? And on the basis of how One answers that question, they would say, you can kind of consider yourself a Christian or not. Although that is an important question, and a question that we all, I think, must ask and answer, right? Do I have Christ? Um, That ultimately there is a, a more fundamental question than that that must be asked. Because Scripture is clear, isn't it, that that there are many who will claim that they have Christ, but who do not belong to Him. Jesus says, if you remember in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think sometimes we forget about that. We forget about that because I think what happens oftentimes, and I speak from my own experiences, and perhaps it's things you've experienced as well, is that what ends up happening? Is that a, a child, a parent, a, a family member, a friend, someone in the church, a coworker, a neighbor, um, someone uh, that we desperately have prayed for their salvation comes to us and says, I am now a believer. Right? I've, I've trusted in Christ. And, and our response is, is to rejoice, but then we oftentimes just stop at that. We ask no more. We say no more because we're just thankful uh, that God has, has answered our prayer. Um, but oftentimes, what you find um, is that over the course of time, as you then you know, maybe come across these people again or, or speak to them more, is that they have veered into one of two lanes. right? They've veered into uh, antinomianism or neonomianism. Uh, when I say antinomianism, I mean uh, oftentimes what you see is that people will say, yes, I have Christ. Christ is mine. Right? I have come to, to believe in Jesus. Uh, but then they think kind of that's all that there is. And now they they, they they live in rebellion against the law of God. That's what it means to be antinomian, right? Against the law of God. Um, or what you have is you have neonomians, those who say, yes, I have received Christ, Christ is mine. Um, but all of a sudden what you see in their life is they, they start to impose all these new rules, right? That, that, that kind of guide their life. Uh, over and above what Scripture commands. And they believe that in doing these things that they are gaining the favor of God. right? Or they in some way are establishing uh, their own righteousness. But in both instances, what do we have? Right? In both of those cases, you have two groups of people who would say, if you ask them the question, right, do you have Christ? Yes. Right? They would affirm that they have Christ. But both in these cases would be deceived. Both would be deceived. This is why I said that there is a a more fundamental question that we must ask that goes beyond just do I have Christ or or is Christ mine? Because even the Judaizers, and even the Judaizers here in our text who are stirring up all sorts of controversy and all sorts of division and schism and preaching the, the wrong gospel would say, I have Christ. If you ask them, do you have Christ? And so the more important question is not do I have Christ? But how is Christ yours? It's not just is Christ mine, but in what way has Christ become mine? And what I mean by that is this. Is Christ yours in the sense that uh, you have the death of Christ? right? You believe Christ has died for you? But now you believe that in, in, in having the forgiveness of sin that it's up to you now to live righteously in accordance to who you now are in Christ? Or do you say that, that Christ is mine through His death and through His obedience and yet still my obedience plays a part or factors into the equation of my righteousness before God? Right? Or is Christ mine Because He has completed and finished the work for all time. What was necessary and what was needed so that we do not add to nor take away from His finished work, but simply receive and rest in it in order that we might be right before God. You see, we need to see the necessity of not just asking ourselves the question, do I have Christ? Or another way to state it, uh, am I right with God? But we need to dig down further Right? We need to go down further. We need to ask, how have I been made right with God? Because the Judaizers would say, I'm right with God if you ask them. But if you said, how are you right with God? They would say, well, Jesus and Moses. Right? We believe in Jesus, but we sprinkle Moses with it and you have salvation. And for many people today who would, who would confess Christ, they, they have a similar understanding. They would say, well, I believe in Jesus. Uh, but also, I, I need to, to, to be faithful as well. Right? I need to uh, have kind of my, my own righteousness. And Jesus and my own righteousness equal total justification or, or salvation. Right? But neither is what Paul taught, is it? Right? Neither is what the uh, apostles taught. Why? Because neither is the Gospel. Uh, neither is the good news. And by neither will Christ become yours. And so here in our text today, Paul is, is now trying to bring clarity to the confusion that Peter caused, that we read about last week, when he broke table fellowship from the Gentile converts as soon as the Judaizers from Jerusalem came to Antioch. Thus doing what? Making the Gentile converts believe that Jesus wasn't enough, but rather something needed to be added to Christ in order for one to be right before God. And so in our text today, he goes on to tell the the saints in the churches of Galatia how it is they came to be right with God. How it was that they were justified. right? How they they stand in the position that they stand. But also, not only is he reminding the Gentile converts of this, but he's reminding Peter of this, and all of the, the Jewish converts as well. For they have all been made right with God only one way. It's the same way for all of them. Right? Paul says, there's never been more than one way by which we have been made right with God. And this is the, the argument that he makes in our, uh, this morning in our text that we're going to look at. And so as we look at our text, we want to unpack it uh, under, under two points this morning. The first point is, is this, how we are not justified. Point number one, how we are not justified. Right. This is the way that the Judaizers are teaching. Point two, how we are justified. How we are justified. Right. And this describes what? Not only what Paul believed, but what Peter believed as well. Even though Peter was, was denying his profession by his manner of life. And so point one, how we are not justified. Look at verse 15 again. Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, this is a, a continuation uh, from our text last week, verses 11 to 14. Right? And so, he's saying to Peter, right, we, are, we are Jews by birth, we're not Gentile sinners. Now, I want us to understand something, that when, when Paul says this, he's not saying that Jews by birth aren't sinners, Right and and Gentiles are sinners, but rather what Paul is doing is he is simply explaining a distinction that existed prior to the cross, right? And the, and the distinction was this: that the Israelites, the Jewish people, were a peculiar people to the Lord, right? Set apart by God. The Gentiles were not. Right, all the other nations were not. Right. This is what Pastor uh, Michael Beatty taught last week in Ephesians two. If you were here, remember that that they were. Uh, strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, right? You had Israel and you had everybody else, right? What else did we read about last week in Ephesians 2? That, that Israel were the ones who had the covenants of promise, right? And we were aliens to the covenants of promise, weren't we? All, all Gentiles were aliens to those covenants. And so you have the Israelites who have the covenant, uh, who are in relationship with God, and then you have all the other Gentile nations who are not. Right? This is the distinction that he's making. Right? One people had the one true God who spoke to them, revealed Himself to them, was in communion with them. And all the other nations served pagan deities, right? pagan gods. Right? That's, that's the distinction here Paul is making. But, but we all know from all of Paul's epistles that, that he very clearly states the condition of, of both Jew and Gentile alike being the, the exact same, isn't it? So it's not that Gentiles are sinners and Jews are not in some manner. right? He makes this clear in a text like Romans 3, verse 9 and 10. When Paul asks, what then? Are Jews better off? And his answer is, no, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jew and Gentiles are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And so here Paul, in speaking about his birthright with Peter, is simply saying this, that if... Peter, if you and I are Jews by birthright, if we had the law and we had the covenant, and yet we were never justified by those things, how can we turn around now and make the Gentiles, these Gentile sinners, who didn't have the written law like you and I did, who weren't in covenant with God, and now we turn around and make them be justified by the law? Right? That's his argument. We can't do that. And why would we? That's not the way, Peter, you and I were justified before God. And he makes that clear in verse 16. Look down with me there. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now here it is. So we also, that's you and me, Peter. That's the Jews. We also have believed in Christ Jesus as Jews who had the law. But why? In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. And so we need to see that by law-keeping, no one can be justified. No one has ever been justified through law-keeping. It can't be done, Paul says. Right? He ends in verse 16, Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We ask why. Well, Scripture tells us right, we've all sinned. We're all sinners deserving of death and condemnation. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Which is why James can say in James chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of it all. Which is why Paul will later go on to say in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. See, brothers and sisters, that is a burden that, that none of us can bear. Right? We can't do it. You can't be justified by the law either, because we need to understand that it wasn't the purpose of the law. Right? The law wasn't given that we might be justified by it. Listen to what Paul says again. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Why? So that every mouth would be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable before God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Right? The the, the law's usage prior to the coming of Christ is to show our guilt before God right the the law prior to coming to Christ condemns us right it reveals that that we are sinners who stand in the courtroom of the just judge of all the earth and he has rendered the pronouncement of of guilty and that we are deserving of the punishment of of eternal death and condemnation and so we need to see there's no amount of of good works brothers and sisters that that you and I can give to God right to escape that verdict. right? To have God just forget about it. Right? And because God is holy and just, He can't just overlook it. Right? He can't just turn His back to it. He can't allow the, the perpetrator of such crimes to just walk free. Now here, I think some people go wrong when, when they think about this scenario. When they think about justification, they think about uh, God's forgiveness. Here in our own earthly context we have creditors, don't we? And earthly creditors do what oftentimes? If you if you owe money, if you're in debt to them, they say what? They say, Well, if you pay back this much, we will forgive the rest. And so I think what people do is they, they reason back to God. Right? And they say, Well, if earthly creditors are willing to just take a little and forgive the rest, I mean surely God would as well. And if you think about it, how many how many people who confess Christ live like that? Like God is that type of creditor. Right? They say, if my good works outweigh my bad works, I'll have paid God back enough that He'll just forget my bad works. Right? And I'll be accepted into heaven. Right? But we need to understand that God is not that type of creditor. Right? We owe a debt to God and God will collect it in full. Right? It needs to be paid in, in total. But the problem, brothers and sisters, is is that we are all corrupt trees, as Scripture tells us. Right? We are bad trees. We produce bad fruit. So we don't even have it in us to pay back to God what we owe Him. And in fact, Scripture is clear. We actually owe to God not just one debt, but a double debt. Right? We owe God a double debt. God demands perfect obedience to the law, and that is something that none of us have rendered because we are all sinners. And so, what God then requires for the breach of that law is for us to make full satisfaction for that sin, which none of us are able to do. Right? None of us are are capable of doing. Now, for many that for many we understand that we are sinners apart from Christ, that. We can do no good thing apart from Christ. Um, but there, are, I think, also are many who think that that once we say we believe in Jesus and that we have been saved, and now that we are under the grace of God, they are under the assumption that, that we can now, under God's grace, actually do works of of righteousness that uh, help to satisfy our own sin and to qualify us for being uh, justified before God, right? They they think, well, Jesus has forgiven me my sin. I am now under grace. I walk by the Spirit, and so, and so I have to be faithful to all of these things to add to my own righteousness in order that that God would uh, receive me, that I might be in right standing before God. Uh, but we need to see that that is that is not true. That is not the case. And there is a perfect example of this in uh, Abraham. In Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, Abraham is put forth before us. Not only for his faith, but for his works. Right? Both of those things are commended of Abraham. Right? Paul tells us Abraham abounded in faith and he abounded in good works. But then Paul goes on to say how Abraham was justified. And what does he say? Abraham was justified by faith apart from his works. Right? By faith apart from his works. And it's the, the Judaizers who don't understand this. They, they think that adding the ceremonial law and even the moral law on top of the gospel would make them right before God. And, and we read this and we, we think how foolish, but brothers and sisters, we need to see that this exact same thing goes on today. Right? Today people say, yes, I believe in Christ, but it's, it's Christ plus me going to church. Right, it's, it's Christ plus the sacraments. It's it's Christ plus me being a good person. It's Christ plus me uh, praying for my neighbor. It's it's Christ plus uh, me suffering for His sake that, that that sets me in right standing before God. It's the same argument that goes on today. All we do today is substitute different works than what the Judaizers were using. But when we talk about justification. When we talk about justification, we need to see that we must rule out everything else but Christ. Because even for the believer who now lives under grace, even our best works are still imperfect works. And so why would we ever imagine that we can placate holy God with our imperfect works? Right? Saying to God, God, I know that you demand perfect righteousness. I can't do it, but here are my imperfect works. This is all I have. I hope that you will accept them alongside the perfect works of Christ in order that I might be justified. Brothers and sisters, we as believers need to see the the unsuitableness of our works as they pertain to our own justification. Right? Our our best works don't even begin to scratch the surface in comparison to to the worth and excellency of Christ's works. Now, Paul, I want us to see, is not denying the importance of personal obedience here. Right? Paul is not denying the obligation still uh, to observe the, the moral law. But what he is saying is that your personal obedience has nothing to do with your justification. Right? That's the point Paul is making. And these are the people that he is addressing. Right? Not so much the antinomian, but the neonomian. Right? The one who, who believes that my works add something to my righteousness before God. But to believe that is what? It's really to seek shelter in oneself, isn't it? And not in Christ, which is a, a most dangerous thing. We need to see, brothers and sisters, that Christian righteousness is not your own righteousness now that you are in Christ. But the Christian's righteousness, even once you are in Christ, it's only Christ. It's only Christ. You cannot gain favor with God prior to salvation or once you are already saved by, by climbing your way up to God by your good works. But We are so quick to forget the basics, aren't we? Right? We're so quick to forget those basics. This is what the, 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 the saints in Galatia are guilty of, forgetting the basics. Right? Remember, when Paul plants the church, they recognize these things. They affirm them. They say, yes, we are guilty sinners. We can do nothing to justify ourselves. We've placed our faith, hope, and trust in Christ. And now Paul's saying, now you're abandoning it for what? Right? Now you're believing the Judaizers' doctrine. You think that you have to add to Christ in order to be justified before God? Right? Paul is saying and reminding them, remember that when Jesus hung upon the cross, right, He said, it is finished. He said, it's finished His... He said, my works have been complete, and they are perfectly complete. And he's asking them, essentially, do you now disagree? Right? Do you now disagree? Right? We all must see that to add to our justification is to subtract from Christ. It's to say that, that Christ isn't enough. And so when we ask ourselves, right, do I have Christ, and, and is Christ mine, Brothers and sisters, we must be always sure that we do not add our own works into that equation when we answer that question. Because as Paul tells us, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But then the question arises, well, if this way, if our works is is blocked off as a means to being set right before God, what path then is there? What, What way is there? And this leads us to our second and our final point then, which is how we are justified. How we are justified. Let's look at verse 16 once again. Paul says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. And so the short answer to how you are justified is this. It is by faith alone in Christ alone. By faith alone in Christ alone. But this demands, I think, a further explanation than that. The first thing that I want us to see is that when Paul uses the word uh, justified, uh, that he is using it in a in a legal, in a forensic, in a judicial sense, uh, wanting it to express really our our acquittal before God. Right? It expresses our acquittal before God. So that we need to see justification is not something progressive. Right? It's not something that grows by degrees, but rather, when you are justified, right, it is a legal declaration by God, right? That the that the party here is is innocent now, and they are now seen as righteous because of what Christ has done, all their days. And this is the primary way the Scripture uses that verb to justify. Right? It uses it with this with this courtroom language uh, to express our freedom from guilt and condemnation. One example of this can be found in in Proverbs chapter seventeen verse fifteen. Uh, there we, we read this. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike in abomination to the Lord. So he says, whoever absolves right, or whoever clears the, the guilty in the court of law is an abomination. And whoever in the, in the court of law passes a sentence of condemnation upon the innocent likewise an in abomination to the Lord. And so to condemn we need to see in this verse is a judicial act by which a judge or a jury declare the accused guilty. And so to justify is the same thing. It's a judicial act by which judge or jury declare the accused innocent. We see the same thing in Exodus chapter 23, verse 7. There we read, keep from a false charge. Do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for I will not acquit or I will not justify the wicked. And so Paul's point is this, that the, the reason that you and I are acquitted before God as we stand in this courtroom and are declared not guilty or innocent is not because of works done by us in the law, but rather it only comes through faith in Christ. Right? That, is, that is Paul's point here. Uh, now we've said on many occasions that it's not, it's not faith itself that justifies, is it? Uh, William Perkins defines justifying faith as this. He says, it is a gift whereby we apprehend Christ and His benefits. Right, so faith again is, a, is an instrument, isn't it? It's a conduit by which we lay hold to Christ and all of His merits. And so it's not faith that justifies, but it's Christ who justifies. This is why Paul can say then in, in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that now when we speak of justification, Uh what I I further than want us to see is this that when we talk of justification, it really encompasses two two aspects or two things. Uh one is the forgiveness of sin. When we speak of of being justified, we're talking about having the forgiveness of sin. Right in the book of Hebrews we're told that without the shedding of blood there could be no forgiveness of sin. And so we need to see that by the stripes of Christ, right, we have forgiveness. For by His stripes we have been healed. By His stripes He paid our penalty and satisfied the debt that we owed. Which is why Paul, quoting David in Romans 4, then can say, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. It's not, brothers and sisters, that we will never sin again. But it's that our guilt has been taken away. Right? The guilt of our sin has been removed. How? By Christ Christ. Christ has removed the guilt of our sin so that our sin was imputed to Him on the cross. And God dealt with it in full. right, In total there. The unbelieving world oftentimes I think are mistaken when they think about Christians. In this sense, oftentimes they they will say, well, Christians think that they are are perfect. Christians think they are perfect, but actually, the very opposite is true, isn't it? Right? The Christian is the one who understands they are not perfect. Right? That they are imperfect. Uh, that they are, are very fallible. Right? The Christian is not one as as who Martin Luther says, who perfectly keeps the law. But a Christian is the one to whom God does not impute his sin. Right? That's the difference between one apart from Christ and one who has Christ. Not that we are somehow better people than others. But rather, just by the sheer grace of God, he, he, is, he has coveted our sin and He no longer imputes the guilt of our sin to us. Like I said before, though, we owe a, a double debt to God. And we need to understand that, that Christ paid the double debt in full. Right? By Christ's death, we have forgiveness of sin, but that's not all that there is to it. It is by His life. And His perfect obedience. That through faith in Christ we receive that righteousness. So that when we speak of justification, it has two aspects. Forgiveness of sin and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. That's what we mean when we talk about being justified by Christ. Right? We have forgiveness of sin and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Now, don't be scared by the word imputation. Right? And imputation simply means that, that something is placed in the account of. Right? So that it's Christ's righteousness that is placed in our account now. Right? Through faith in Christ. It is, it has now been credited to us. See then, brothers and sisters, that, that we must receive then the whole of Christ's work. Right? The whole of His work. We must receive His life and His death. And we must also, though, receive His, right, obedience or His satisfaction. And this is what, what Paul recognized, which is why he declares that that, that, that great um, declaration in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, where he says this, Indeed, I count everything of loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ The righteousness from God that depends on faith. See then how desperately each and every one of us here today need to understand ourselves. We need to understand our own inability and we need to deny ourselves in our own justification. But this is why there is such an aversion to the doctrine of justification, isn't there? Because it really strikes at the nature of man, doesn't it? Man's nature is one of of pride. We are self-pleasers. Yet we need to understand that that where there is not the true doctrine of justification, neither can there be peace nor assurance. Um, It's it's Christ's life and death live for me, Uh, apart from anything that we do, that is the foundation for the Christian's comfort and happiness in this world. Right? And we need to recognize that. We need to see that. We need to, to come before the Lord recognizing that in our justification, you and I are bankrupt. Right? We have nothing to give to God. Right? In our, our, our pockets, you pull them open and they are empty. Right? We, we have nothing. And so if we desire to be justified, we, we must accept the payment of another. Right? Humbling ourselves and, and do nothing right? but receive it as a gift from God by faith. We need to understand that that you are not Christ's co-worker in your justification. Christ is the worker. You are simply the the receiver in it all. There is no using our hands in our justification. There are no works that can justify us. And instead, faith is the hand that reaches out and receives this gift from God. We need to see, brothers and sisters, that everything we need, Christ has already earned for us. He has already merited it for us. So that whatever Christ has done for those who believe on Him, God now counts it as yours. Christ's righteousness becomes ours. Christ's works become ours. This is the only way that any of us will ever be able to stand before Almighty God. And this is the, the, the point or the message that that Paul wants to make clear to both the Jew and the Gentiles. Right? That that the one and only true gospel, right, that that that, that gospel message that, that Paul declared is the only message that bridges the gap between those two peoples. Right? It's the only message to add works of the law to Paul's declaration is to destroy Christ. It's to destroy Christ. What is freeing for both Jew and Gentile alike is that for you and I who are in Christ, the law has lost its condemning power against us. Right? What a glorious acknowledgement of that we ought to make. Right? That, that we who are in Christ, right, that the law no longer has that condemning power. Brothers and sisters, we need to see that the, the law accuses. Right? The, the, the law says guilty for the, the tiniest, the smallest of infractions. And so we have to ask ourselves, why would anyone want to remain and hold on to the law and submit themselves to it as a means to be justified when God tells us that all you must do is look up and you will find all of the righteousness that you and I need. If you remember, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, Verses 8 and 9. The Israelites are punished because of their ingratitude. And God sends the fiery serpents to bite the Israelites. And when they're bit, they die. The Israelites uh, repent of their sin, recognize what they have done, and ask Moses to go before the Lord in prayer and ask that the Lord would stop sending these fiery serpents to, to bite them. Uh, do you remember what what the lord 's response is he tells Moses to, to, to make a fiery serpent and to put it up on a pole and to tell the people that when they are bitten by the fiery serpent that they are to look up at the pole now in John chapter three verse fourteen when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus he references numbers twenty one And he says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. What I want us to see is this, that when the Israelites were bitten by the serpent, to look anywhere else, to look to themselves, to look to their own works, to look to their neighbor, to look to the stars, moon, and sky, once they were bitten, they would die. There was only one way of escape for them. And it was to look up to that thing that was hanging from the pole that foreshadowed the coming of Christ. And by looking up at that, when they were bitten, they demonstrate their faith in trusting in the promise that when they look up, they would be healed. Right? And they would, and they would continue to live. Well, brothers and sisters, we need to see that the healing in the wilderness, that pardon of sin, and that life that they were given is a type. It's, it was a type of, of the true pardon of sin and life everlasting that, that everyone who, who looks upon Christ on the cross, Right? It is that pardon from sin and life everlasting that that we who look to Christ and the cross shall receive as he is the only one who is our means of escape. He is the only one who can free us from from sin and death to look to him by faith, but what we must recognize, even in the example of the Israelites is this is that they had to come under the conviction of their sin before they could ever look up, and the same is true for you and I right before we can ever muster up the strength to look up to the cross, to Christ by faith, we must first come under the conviction of our own lost condition. And yet, even that, brothers and sisters, is not something that we can muster up under our own strength. In our own strength, we cannot identify our own sin, become repentant of it, nor look up to the cross. But rather, we need the grace of God to do that. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. If you want to be in right standing with God, you must cry out to the God who alone justifies. Lord God Almighty, reveal my sin to me that I might acknowledge it, that I might repent of it, that I might cast myself before Your throne of mercy. A mercy that, that neither You or I are deserving of. That we would ask, Lord, enable us to relinquish everything it is in this world that we hold on to for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and having Christ and receiving Christ and all of the benefits that He won. Understanding that Christ and Christ alone is the only ground for the Christian's justification before God. Right? Jesus did not merit forgiveness of sin for you and I. He did not merit life everlasting for you and I so that you now can go merit it for yourself. Jesus said in His high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you have given me to do. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Do you believe that? That everything has been accomplished for you? That there is no more working towards your justification? Is this the Christ that you have? Do you have the the whole of Christ? Or are you right now sitting here today holding on to only a piece of Christ? Do you say, well, I have the forgiveness of sin, but I must maintain my own righteous standing before God in order that I might be justified? Let us see, brothers and sisters, that as Paul says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. If you desire to be justified before God, that we must recognize it is all a work of God's grace, whereby He causes the sinner to, by faith, look to Christ in the cross and nothing else. Right? To, to look to the merits of Christ, receive them and nothing else. And to trust that on that cross, that our sin and the guilt of it was imputed to Christ. And in exchange, uh, the righteousness of Christ was imputed to you and I. And in recognition of that, it ought to, to cause every one of us here today who believes to, to rejoice right, wholeheartedly together, knowing that, that it is Christ and Christ alone that is the ground for our justification. It is because of Christ and no other that right now at this moment we stand in right relationship with God. and It is because of Christ and Christ alone that you and I shall be reconciled to God through Christ forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the doctrine of justification. We thank You for Paul's uh, great clarity on the matter. Uh, we thank You, Lord, that You have uh, given us the Holy Spirit that enables us to discern these uh, spiritual matters and to understand them uh, rightly and properly and accurately. Uh, Lord, we ask that You would help us each day uh, to beat down any any pride that bubbles up within ourselves that might cause us to think that our own works have anything to do with our justification. Help us, Lord, to not be neither antinomians or neonomians, but rather just be true disciples of Christ. Uh, Those who who, uh, rest in Christ alone, by faith alone, recognizing that, that Christ and Christ only is the ground of our justification. And in light of that, Lord, help us to Uh, forevermore be thankful and to express that thankfulness each day, uh, recognizing that we are not uh, forgiven because we are better than others. We are simply forgiven because it was the good will and pleasure of God and He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world and He does not impute our sin to us anymore. And so, Father, we thank You for this and we uh, raise up Your name this day and we ask, Lord, that You would help us to, to walk before You then in a manner worthy pleasing of our Lord and our King. And we ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.